Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and it's time once again to grow in our understanding of God's Word and learn more about uh, our faith life and what we can understand. And today, I've got uh, Dr. Greg Allison is going to join the program in Hour One, and we're going to talk about a word that I don't know if I'm very familiar with, although I've I've heard variations of the word, but I, I have not focused in on this word until today. So I'm looking forward to that. And Jeff Redorn is in hour two. We're going to continue our study in our series in First Thessalonians. But Dr. Greg Allison is the professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, author of many books, and an awfully delightful guest. Greg, welcome back. Thanks, Bill. Uh, it's been a little while. I'm very glad to be back with you. Yeah, well, thank you. Are you on a, a writing seminar uh, right now or a sabbatical? What are you doing? Sabbatical, yeah. I'm yeah. on a sabbatical for this uh, fall semester. So I'm making good progress on a book. Oh, good. So when you when fall rolls around this time of the year, you must get a little itchy. Like, I can't believe I'm not going back to class. Yeah, it's very strange, but I love to write. So after uh, six semesters of teaching, I get a semester off. Nice. And I really like that balance, that flow. Right. So the word that I was teasing everyone with was complementarity. Now, I kind of know what complementarianism is, and I I know what egalitarianism is, but I don't know if I know what a good definition of complementarity is. Would you help us with that? Complementarity is God's design for his male image bearers and his female image bearers to fill out and mutually support one another relationally, familially, vocationally, and ecclesially. That is in the areas of their relationships, their family, their job or work, and their church. So... Is that just a word that sort of covers both complementarianism and uh, egalitarianism, or how do we fit this together? The origin of this book is I'm pretty fed up with the impasse between complementarians and egalitarians, particularly focused on different roles for men and women. And I'm tired of kind of pot shots being... Uh, thrown across across the bow of their ships. And so I'm trying to say, what do we have in common? What are there, these things that unite us, the threads that unite us that we would all agree on? That's complementarity. No, we I need like men it. and women to uh, fill out, support one another. And uh, so it's kind of the foundation for both of those views. All right, so let's start understanding what are these threads that unite both groups? Because I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation. And I know this gets to be kind of a hot uh, topic and a hot issue among churches today. Three major areas. First, men and women alike are created in the image of God. So yes, there are men and there are women, but they are image bearers. 
And men are not superior to women. Women are not inferior to men. Women are not, uh, men are not inferior to women and vice versa. So we are all equal in terms of being created in, in the image of God. The second area is we all have access to salvation through Jesus Christ. So there's uh, at the foot of the cross, we are all sinful and in need of salvation that's provided by Jesus. And when we embrace him, he unites us as one. And the third area is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are no uh, gendered gifts, that is gender specific gifts. Uh, the Spirit distributes the gift of teaching and leading, uh, and prayer, faith, giving. And if you're a continuationist, prophecy, speaking in tongues, he distributes those gifts similarly alike to both men and women. Mm -hmm. Those are the three big areas. Mm -hmm. Dr. Greg Allison is my guest. Um, Greg, you said there is no gendered gifts, but what about gendered roles? There are gendered roles, and that's where we get into complementarianism, okay. which maintains that men and women are like in these three areas. But when it comes to the family, the husband is the head of the wife, um, and she is to submit to him. And in the church, only qualified men can be pastors or elders. That's complementarianism. Egalitarianism says that, yes, there are these three broad areas of likeness, and there are no uh, gendered roles in the family and in the church. That is, men and women, husbands and wives alike, mutually uh, submit to one another, mutually exercise authority over one another. And in the church, the highest office, like pastor, elder, uh, that office is equally accessible to both men and women. Mm -hmm. And Greg, are we spending time now taking the lens of culture and trying to look at the Bible through the culture lens, where we should be taking the Bible lens and looking at culture through that? That second one was always the correct uh, viewpoint. Okay. We consider what Scripture says, and then we seek to apply it to as we understand our culture. But I think our culture deeply influences us. And so there's a mutuality in that uh, relationship between those two. All right. Um, I would love for you to say um, more about that, because um, that is a, a part of this discussion that I think is um, warrants more meat on the bone. Sure. Um, so in my culture in Kentucky, um, men hunt, uh, <laughs> they chew tobacco, mm -hmm. they uh, own trucks, uh, women cook and bake, uh, they go shopping, and they multitask. Mm -hmm. And so those are cultural realities in Kentucky, not the same as they would be in other states or other countries. But those kind of stereotyped uh, roles or behaviors, they influence how complementarians live out their complementarianism, uh, saying that these are the proper roles and their expressions. And anyone who kind of falls outside of those stereotype roles, eh, there's some problems. So if a guy doesn't like to drive trucks and hunt, but would prefer to paint pictures and uh, bake uh, excellent uh, cookies, mm -hmm. well, then maybe he's not fully a man, not quite fully a man. 
and then we run into a problem which would be another topic of conversation uh gender dysphoria transgenderism and things like that right greg what what are you seeing in the church today that has caused you to want to write about this there's uh an entrenchment between complementarians and egalitarians such that the two sides aren't really listening to one another. Mm-hmm. And so complementarians may charge egalitarians with being soft on the inerrancy and authority of scripture. Um, egalitarians may charge complementarians with just these stereotypical 1950s United States society roles, prohibiting women from doing anything other than having babies working in the homes. And so there's these two entrenched positions. And I, I think some of the key leaders on both sides uh, are not listening to one another. And I'm hoping my book will say we do need to listen to one another because there's a lot that unite us, that it joins us together. Mm-hmm. What are we getting right and what are we getting wrong? That oh, is... Uh, <laughs> kind of a loaded question, I know. That's a huge question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're getting wrong is speaking about men and women manhood and womanhood almost exclusively in terms of roles rather than speaking about what is a man what is a woman what are their natures because the nature of a man the nature of a woman from those natures flow their roles so i think we're overemphasizing roles to the point of really not understanding what men and women are and how they are to uh relate in a complementarity reality. What we're getting right is, um, I can speak about the Evangelical Theological Society, which is a a scholarly society for biblical scholars, theologians, church historians. And there are a number of sessions that are dedicated to this topic where complementarians and egalitarians can get together, present papers, interact with one another in a civil and uh, very respectful way. That's encouraging to me. Dr. Greg Allison is my guest. We're talking about uh, the word that he calls complementarity, which is you're not uh, necessarily a complementarianism. It's not complementarianism or egalitarianism, uh, but it's uh, something that unites both groups. So if you have a question or comment, let me know what it is. 877-933-2484. It's going to be a long hour with me trying to say these words correctly, but... uh, Dr. Greg Allison is my... Yes. <laughs> what? They are very tough words. <laughs> yeah, they are kind of tough. Yeah, they don't roll off my tongue. So um, uh, 877-933-2484, and we'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have Dr. Greg Allison back with me. He's a professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also a secretary of the Evangelical Theological Society, which I think is a really big think tank, isn't it, Greg? That's right. About uh, 3,000-some members. 
Yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten my invitation yet, so I don't know. Should I be looking for it in the mail or not? We have our annual meeting <laughs> in November in San Antonio. You're <laughs> very welcome to join us. Oh, nice of you. So Julie just said, uh, currently driving my truck home, but plan on baking when I get there. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> but I, Thank you. But she says I lean, but I lean more towards complementarianism. But again, we're going to have to explain that uh, we're talking about complementarity, which is a exactly. kind of a yeah. Um, it's is 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 it? Can we say it's the best of both worlds, or is that not accurate? No, uh, yeah, it's not a a third uh, wave approach. It's not trying to find a middle position. I don't think there is. It's just saying that there's there's another way of looking at the world another perspective on men and women that's not just rolled in terms of its outlook. Mm -hmm. All right. So if we're looking at those three points that we talked earlier in the show, we're all image bearers, which is true, right? So that's complementarity, correct? Yes. Uh, We all have access uh, to salvation through Jesus Christ. So that's complementarity. That unites us. All right. Mm -hmm. And there are no such thing as gendered gifts, is that correct? That's also complementarity. That's also complementarity. So, all right, that gives us some framework, but let's, again, if we if we can, Greg, try to figure out how we can put application on this. I mean, the first one's pretty easy. I get that we're all image bearers of God, and I guess the second one is easy, too, <laughs> that we all have access to salvation through Christ. But I guess it gets into the giftedness and how those gifts are used is where I think it gets trickier. Yes. Let's go back to the first. So the image of God. So if men and women alike are created in the image of God, this is Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Genesis 1, 28 says, God bless them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and exercise dominion over the rest of the created order. Now, some complementarians will take that so-called cultural mandate, what human beings are responsible to do. Um, expand the human race, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, so procreation, and human beings are to work in vocation, subdue the earth, exercise dominion. And some complementarians will say, actually, though, in the, the roles there of work in vocations, women should not be queens of England, should not be presidents of the United States, should probably not even be policewomen, Those are male-only vocational roles, and therefore we have a disagreement then between some complementarians who would say women cannot exercise any role of authority over any man, even in the vocation, even in society. Mm. And then we would have some complementarians and other and mostly egalitarians would say, but no, there can't be those role differences Uh, Queen Elizabeth II was legitimate as the Queen of uh, Great Britain. And uh, if we had a president of the United States who was a woman, that would be fine. And we can have policewomen. We can have policewomen who are chiefs and all like that. So that's an example of how the debate, how the diversity of these uh, views plays itself out practically. Or another way would be, so men and women created in the image of God were created for relationships. Um, I would maintain that friendships are egalitarian, that is non-hierarchical, right? If there is a hierarchy in our relationships, if one always considers oneself to be in authority over the other one, that's not really a friendship. That's not a relationship. 
But there are some who would maintain that even in just relationships, not marital relationships, that men should always be leaders and women should always be followers. Women should always defer to the man and the men should always take the initiative. That's a, a swath of complementarianism. And egalitarians would just say, no, there is egalitarian uh, relationships. We can't have hierarchy or there's not a real friendship. Okay. I think I followed a lot of that and a lot of it I didn't. Uh, <laughs> what can I clarify? Anything? Well, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there is uh, a healthy approach in the complementarianism and a healthy approach in the egalitarianism. And there right now, I, okay, help, help, yes. me, help me understand that better. Um, most, so let's go back to the idea who can lead countries, uh, companies, organizations. Most complementarians say that in the vocational realm, in society, men and women alike can be employers, uh, CEOs, presidents of countries and all like that. Mm -hmm. And egalitarians would totally agree with them. I'm talking about, I guess I would perceive it as a narrow swath of complementarians who say, no, that even in society, all companies, organizations, nations must be led by men. Gotcha. Women okay. cannot have those, that cannot have that high level of authority because they're not to exercise authority over men. Okay. I disagree with that. The majority of complementarians disagree with that. And okay. egalitarians say, hey, that's not right either. Okay. That really clears things up for me because I thought the, the complementarian approach was more that. And we're saying that's, that's a little subsection of complementarians. And you got it. most it's complementarians don't agree with that subset. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and then okay. talking about the gifts, going to that area, the gifts of the spirit. So they're non-gender gifts. So men and women alike can possess the gifts of let's just focus on teaching and leading. Complementarians would say, yes, women who possess the gifts of teaching and leading are expected to indeed must exercise those gifts, but they can't be elders, pastors of a church. Uh, those that 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 office is reserved for men who hopefully also have the gift of teaching and leading. So that's where the difference be, uh, again it falls out. Complementarianism says, yes, no gendered gifts, teaching and leading distributed by the Spirit alike to men and women. But the point that they make is, but in the office of church officer, right, mm -hmm. the the pastor elder. That is reserved for qualified men only. Even women who have the gift of teaching and leading can't hold the pastoral office because it's prohibited to them on the basis of some scriptural passages. Okay, Dr. Greg Allison, let's take what complementarians say and let's just move that to the side and say, what does the Bible say? First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 are is one of the key passages on this because Paul directs women to learn in quietness with submission and he prohibits women from uh, teaching and exercising authority over a man because Adam was created first and because Eve was deceived and fell into transgression 
and Adam was not deceived. So that passage, which is very difficult, admittedly, mm-hmm. is a key passage to which complementarians point to say, Paul here is restricting the office of elder or pastor to qualified men only. And egalitarians say that may have been true in the first century mm. when women were not as educated or okay. didn't have as many opportunities or um or because women were at the heart of disturbances in the church of Ephesus, to which uh, Timothy is to uh, minister. And therefore, that that Pauline prohibition falls out. It no longer is applicable in our context today. Everyone has to deal with the passage, but complementarians and egalitarians deal with it differently. Yeah, but Greg, where in that passage does it say that women weren't educated enough? Where does it say in that in that passage, uh, you know, some of these objections, it, does, it doesn't exist. It, so it requires a reconstruction of the cultural situation that Paul is addressing there in the church of Ephesus in 1 Timothy. And uh, all of us need to do some kind of cultural understanding, historical understanding of Paul's letters and to whom they're written, why they're written and all like that. But there can be a lot of speculation that goes on uh, in these reconstructions. And you're right, nowhere in 1 Timothy or anywhere else does it say that women were not educated. But if we do some historical studies to a great degree within the Greco-Roman first century culture, women didn't have as much access to education and vocational opportunities as men. So it may be a factor in there. But I think Paul grounds his prohibition, not in cultural matters, but in 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14, the order of creation and the fact of, of uh, sinfulness among our first couple. Mm. Well, how, mu- how many college degrees did some of the, the uh, apostles have, the disciples? They were fishermen. They were probably a little rougher on the edges. Uh, that's uh, very true. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. I mean, if you're a first century kid, aren't you learning? Uh, don't you have religious training? Aren't you learning what most everybody's learning? Or did only the boys sure. get that education and not the girls? Yeah, the boys again. So uh, in Jewish circles, it would be the boys who would learn Torah mm-hmm. and the girls would be excluded. Uh, also in the Greco Roman world, boys had full access to education, at least free boys, not slaves. Yeah. Uh, Girls were usually prohibited. And that goes way back centuries to philosophers like Aristotle, who kind of uh, foisted this notion on uh, human beings. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back more with Dr. Greg Allison. And the topic today is complementarity. Maybe you've heard that word. Maybe you haven't. We're going to Refresh it when we come back and continue talking about the roles and the ways in which God created us and designed us. If you have a question or comment, please send it over, 877-933-2484, Be right back.
the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, we're talking to Dr. Greg Allison today about complementarity. And I was just talking to Ryan, my producer, during the break, and I was asking him, are we being clear on this? Is this, you know, sometimes you hear the word complementarity and you think I said complementarianism, which I didn't. So that's a little bit of the work and effort we're trying to make sure we're being clear. Um, and Dr. Greg Allison is is discussing what complementarity is. So... That's where we're at. Now, I got some great questions coming in, Greg. One is, can uh, Dr. Allison address why Adam is mentioned in Romans and not Eve? Yes. So in Romans chapter 5, 12 and following, there's a parallel that Paul constructs between the first man, Adam, and the second Adam, who was Christ. The first Adam... uh, Adam from Genesis chapter 2, is the one who fell into sin, and he as a representative then plunged all of us into sin. So he's at the root of our sinfulness and our sinful nature, which then Christ undoes through his obedience, through his righteousness. He undoes the work of Adam, the sin of Adam, and then brings about salvation God declares us not guilty, but righteous instead. So the second Adam, Christ, resolves our sin problem. Adam is only focused on in Romans chapter 5 because uh, God constituted him the head of the human race, kind of the, the covenantal leader, the representative of humanity before God, such that as Adam would go, so too all humanity would go. So if Adam would persist in obedience, and righteousness, so too would we. If Adam fell, sinned, uh, and disobeyed God, rebelled against God, so too would we. And it's that second option that Adam operated under. He sinned, uh, and therefore he plunged all humanity under this sinful condition. That's why Paul focuses in Romans 5, 12 and following, on Adam and not on Eve. Mm, Thank you for that answer. The what I like about text messaging is people can, you know, send their questions over. Some of the frustrating part of text messaging is is I don't know if I always understand what the message or what the question is or what the comment is. So I'm going to throw this out, Greg, and see if you can uh, understand this better than I. Exodus 20.11 is another place where a command refers to and teaches biblical history. The Second Timothy verse is not unique. I would consider that a comment, and I'm not sure if I can connect those dots. Can you? Exodus 20, 11. Yes. In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth to see all is in them and rested on the seventh day. He blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the point is... Well, I think the comment was that they were referencing that 2011 is a place where a command refers to and teaches biblical history. And the second Timothy verse is not unique. I don't... I thought maybe that would trigger something in your head and you were able to connect those dots, but you might be a little uh, well, lack of information there too. Like well, I am. no, I, I think, yeah. So the command in Exodus uh, is grounded in biblical history and the prohibition in 1 Timothy 2.12 
is grounded in uh, biblical history. That is the uh, creation order, Adam before Eve, mm -hmm. and then the, the um, fall into sin. Uh, Eve was deceived and transgressed. Adam didn't. So, yes. Uh, so, Paul, I think the key I idea here is both in Exodus and then in Paul and First Timothy, uh, the command or the prohibition is grounded in creation realities. And uh, that's what Paul appeals to as he gives his instructions in First Timothy, and he doesn't appeal to cultural matters. Mm. Yeah, the, the additional comment uh, just came in that said, neither passage is culturally defined. That's right, exactly. The reason in Exodus for the command is uh, biblical history. The reason that Paul gives in First Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, also refers to biblical history. That's right. There's not cultural things. Mm -hmm. um, yes, that's 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 a good comment from whoever sent that in. Thank you. I have a lot of very smart listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I'm still trying to wrap my arms around this complementarity. So if if somebody came up to me and said, "Bill, are you a complementarianism or are you a, a egalitarian?" Uh, I I would say, "Is the complementarity a, a new option?" Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, you still have the choice: complementarianism okay. and egalitarianism, because they are specifically focused on roles of men and women, gotcha. primarily in uh, the home and in the church. Complementarity is more foundational, right? It's the fact God has designed men and women to fill out, right, and to mutually support one another, um, and. We do that irregardless of our specific roles. Okay. So Colossians 3.16, for example, we are to teach and admonish one another. Um, so men and women in the church, women and men in the church should be encouraging one another, uh, confronting one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, obviously from the word of God and wise counsel. And Men and women can do that whether they have an official position or not. This is just normal church congregational life. It's body life where we sharpen one another like iron sharpens iron, where we teach and help and encourage one another. That's just normal part of church life. And that's irregardless of the roles men and women have. Okay. Thank you for being patient with me. I know oh, that, absolutely. This is tough. I know. Okay. I, there's probably 40% of my listeners right now going, you know, I thought Bill was smarter than that. But, uh, well, you know, I appreciate your patience. And, uh, and I'm only like 50% through <laughs> the writing of the first draft of my book. So all of this is helpful for me. Oh, good. To hear what people wrestle with, because I want to write a book that's clear and not crazy good. Um, dark. Yeah. Good, good. All right, Greg, let's look over the landscape of churches today. And... Say, what percentage would be complementarianist and what percentage would be egalitarianist? That's going to depend on the denomination. Mm -hmm. let's, so put, for, let's put them all in a big melting pot. Put them in a big melting pot. Yeah. Mm. I would say, I, I'll, go I'll, ahead. I'll, yes. I'll throw it out first. I would say if we put it all in a big melting pot, it's going to trend egalitarianism. That's definitely the trend. Okay. Uh, so generally speaking, the trend in evangelical churches is more 
towards the progressive direction rather than the conservative direction. And if we can say egalitarianism, generally speaking, is more progressive, then I would say, yes, that's the, it's tending in that direction. Um, I mean, just think of the cultural situation in which we find ourselves where um, the, 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 the emphasis is on everyone being able to do what everyone can do and move and, and authority and submission have are bad words. Mm-hmm. And uh, we don't like this idea of leading and following and all like that. And just a lot of pressure to look at everybody the same. So our culture, I think, is pushing us, prompting our churches in the direction of egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. And I always go back to what does the Bible teach and what is proper biblical hermeneutics on this topic? And No pressure, uh, Greg. Yeah, that's, that's where we should be. So in my book, uh, I will have a large section on properly interpreting the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'll have a major section on the key biblical passages, like 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 15. And I'll, I'll basically take a two-pronged a- approach. I'll say these are complementarian interpretations of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Here are egalitarian interpretations of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Notice where they agree. Notice the differences. And then work through those issues like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a fascinating book, and I, I'm anxious to get my hands on it because this is a topic that is creating a lot of division, Greg. There's people that are not liking what they see at their once conservative church, and they're leaving them. In my denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, um, we just had one of the largest, if not the largest, Southern Baptist Church, Saddleback Church, withdraw from the convention over this issue. Rick okay. Warren. Uh, and the current pastor and the current pastor's wife, both of them are pastors, have taken a strong stand on an egalitarian view of the office of pastor. Mm-hmm. So both qualified men and qualified women, according to Saddleback, uh, have should be considered for the pastoral office. Um, the Southern Baptist Convention this summer in June uh, said no to that direction. So, uh, but it's major a major controversy because Saddleback Church is a very important church, was a major contributor to the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's no longer affiliated with it wow. in the most direct way. And I heard uh, Pastor Rick Warren give his reason for it. And if you, you know, don't know much about the topic, you're going to feel very persuaded by what he said. He is a very persuasive speaker and makes a lot of sense. Um, if, yeah, again, what's your point? We need to always go back to scripture. And I think First Timothy chapter 2, as we've been mentioning, is a key passage. Um, First Corinthians chapter 14 is another key passage. Right now, uh, yeah, there's, there's this maybe re- emphasis on cultural realities. Uh, in, in a popular level in churches like Saddleback. And we, I think we really need a more careful and constructive interpretation of Scripture and putting the various passages together in a theologically sound way. Mm-hmm. So there is 
obviously the chance that if you hold a what you understand to be a biblical position, you're going to be viewed as an out-of-touch person who is no longer relevant. With all, yes, that's true. I do have a good number of egalitarian scholarly friends. And I must say in their defense, they are very biblical. Yeah, uh, They are very concerned about biblical authority, the inerrancy of scripture and so forth charges flipping charges that if you become egalitarian you give up on biblical authority and biblical inerrancy i think may be true in some cases but to a large extent are wrong uh so they're very biblical my point would be and i think your point would be we uh would interpret certain passages that we've been talking about we would interpret those passages in a different way so it gets down to a matter of how do we interpret these key passages and apply them yeah and the bigger question is Greg, how does the typical person who wants to know the truth and hasn't studied the Bible, maybe the way you have, or, you know, uh, Craig Keener, who I've had on the show a number of times, who I know is uh, egalitarian, uh, how do we come to an understanding of what biblical truth is? And this is why we ask uh, our pastors, our leaders, our elders, our teachers, and our churches to not only exposit scripture, proclaim the gospel, teach the Bible, at the same time, instruct us as lay people how to read and study and apply the Bible correctly so that we can self-feed on the word. When we hear arguments based on certain interpretations of scripture, we have an ability to say that's a strong argument or that's a weak argument. So we need to equip the people in our churches to be more discerning on these matters as it regards a proper understanding of Scripture. Yeah, so true. Dr. Greg Ellison is my guest. He's the professor of Christian theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and we are talking about complementarity today. And if you have missed any of this, it's been a fascinating discussion. We've got one more segment with Greg. If you have a question or comment, let me know what it is. I would love to hear what you're thinking right now and what's on your mind when it comes to this topic. How are we doing on this topic? What questions do you have for me? Let me know, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Giveaway. I don't know if, the, if that's three words or three syllables. I'm not sure it matters. What really matters is we are giving away 100 copies of Susie Larson's new book, Closer Than Your Next Breath. Where is God when you need him most? If you have ever wondered about hearing the voice of God or is feeling good the same as feeling God? Is, is there anything I can do when God seems silent? All of that is covered in Susie's new book. And if you want to get in on the drawing, you can enter to win your copy now. You can do it at myfaithradio.com. Thanks for listening to the podcast and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Greg Allison is my guest. 
Complementarity, that's the big word that we've been talking about all hour. You definitely want to maybe go back and hear it from the beginning. If you've missed, you can do that at MyFaithRadio.com. So, Greg, just as we discuss the criteria for leadership in the church, uh, and we can do that right now if you want, but how would an uh, egalitarian deal with the criteria? A key passage for the egalitarian position is Galatians 3.28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Oh, yeah. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay. So the idea is all these categories that would divide us are broken down so that all Christians are equal. They're one in Jesus Christ. Therefore, the conclusion is drawn There can be no restrictions in terms of the offices in the church. There can be no restrictions to either uh, men or to women. Uh, In fact, they they might say it's incoherent to restrict the office of pastor to qualified men because of this oneness. What I'm working on right now, and I'll throw this out as an experiment, let's think about the people of Israel. They were all part of the nation. They were all one in the covenant with Yahweh. And yet their priests were men who were taken from one tribe. They were the Aaronic Levitical priests. It was not incoherent for everyone in Israel to be equal, to all be citizens of the, of the people of, of uh, Israel. And yet there be, there's be a limitation on who could be priests. And my argument is going to be, Yes, we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is this equality, but it's not incoherent to say, but only qualified men can be pastors of the church. So as I read 1 Timothy chapter 2, 11 through 15, I see Paul prohibiting women from teaching and exercising authority over a man. The two questions that I think that Paul would want us to raise are these. From whom should women learn in the church? And to whom should women submit in the church? Answer, keep reading Paul's letter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Talk about, the, it describes the office of, of pastor or elder, talks about qualifications and responsibilities. The elders of the church are to teach and exercise authority. So Paul himself in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, answers those questions that we have from whom should women learn? To whom should women submit? Answer, the elders of the church. Importantly, though, we should also note that all non-elder men in the church should learn from the elders in the church and submit to the authority of the uh, elders of the church. That's how I look at this. Okay, that that's very, very helpful, and I, I appreciate that. There are things in Scripture that I, I would imagine everybody reads and doesn't like. Uh, yes. When we read in 1 Corinthians 14 that women are to be silent in the church, mm-hmm. okay, um, very few people like that today. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and, of course, then we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean for women to be silent or quiet in the church? That's 1 Corinthians 14. But earlier in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about women who prophesy and pray in the church. So Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 14 about silence or quietness can't mean that women can't say a word. 
right. because they're prophesying, say, reading scripture. They're uh, praying in the church. So, uh, but we look at that, women are to keep silent in the church, and that scrapes up against our sensitivities, against our culture and all like that. So we have to properly understand it. And then ultimately, though, uh, we need to submit to uh, the Word of God and what it directs us to do. Mm-hmm. All right, Greg, I've got a uh, question. Can you address Ephesians five twenty three? My former pastor said that head is actually interpreted in the original language to be source, not head. So the men are not the head. Yes. Let's let me read the passage. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head or source of the wife, even as Christ is the head or source of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything to their husbands. So my point here is whether you take it to be head or source, there's both authority and submission very clearly uh, outlined in this passage. Christ may be the head, he may be the source of the church, but the thing is, he has authority to which the church needs to submit. Similarly, whether the husband is the head or the source of the wife, Paul's instructions still are the wife is to submit to him, whether mm-hmm. he's the head or the source. In either case, you can you can translate it any way. There is still an authority submission relationship that Paul lines out in this passage. And authority and submission, when used rightly, when practiced in a godly way, that's God's design for us in our life in many areas. It's a good and beautiful thing to exercise proper authority rightfully and to submit humbly and god in a godly way those are good and beautiful actions all right dr greg allison is my guest and greg we're kind of in the bottom of the ninth inning here so here's a here's a fastball coming at you okay there's a lot going on with the original sin placed on eve as a reason for not being able to currently pastor so where was adam in his leadership when eve goofed up why did he as well lie to God and not be honest? And why did he blame Eve instead of owning his responsibility over her? Also, was not Jesus' death to conquer sin and death, his blood to wash all sins, including Eve's and her descendants, as well as with men nowadays are failing in the church and the women are picking up the slack? Well, lots in that. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, a couple things. One thing is uh, this uh, this person rightly underscores the utter messiness of the sin of Adam and the sin of Eve. Um, it was a devastating uh, reality, a devastating fall that has affected everything. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, our relationship with creation, everything has been spoiled, tarnished, corrupted by that. Um, and yes, there was uh, uh, Adam apparently uh, abdicating his responsibility. Satan probably attacked Eve in order to disrupt the husband-wife relationship. There's all that going on. Um, and obviously, Jesus does uh, forgive every sin, cleanses every sin. What I see in 1 Timothy 2.13, Adam was formed first, then Eve, and then 14. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. That, that that idea, Adam wasn't deceived, that is, he 
fell with his eyes wide open, knowing that what he was going to do was wrong. Eve was tricked by Satan. And as I understand it, a consequence of Eve's fall into sin through satanic deception, a consequence of that is women are not allowed to hold the office of pastor in the church. Mm. It's a tough one, I will admit, but I think that's a consequence. Could we call it a punishment for Eve's sin? And we go, wow, that's not very fair. But as we already talked about in Romans chapter five, Adam's sin is at the heart of the entirety of human sinfulness. So human sin, original sin of Adam and Eve um, really corrupted everything. Jesus, of course, is the answer through the gospel. He's going to restore everything. Mm. All right. There's lots more coming in, Greg, but I hate to say this, we're out of time. We're getting close to being oh, no. out of time. No, no, no. Uh, we still have some very interesting okay. points coming in, but I appreciate that. And a thought I just had was, of course, Satan would want to attack the family structure, even when it was just Adam and Eve, because God had specific uh, roles for men and women. And wouldn't it just be like Satan to say, no, nah, that's not the way it works. And and that that is uh, what uh, even Genesis 3 in the uh, consequences of sin one of the problems, one of the consequences of the sin is that uh, Eve wants to usurp the authority of, of Adam. Adam's going to treat her harshly. This then's carried out in uh, wives in relationship to their husband and vice versa. And so we have these wars between men and women, between husbands and wives. Yeah, it was a satanic stratagem to mess the whole thing up. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was very interesting. And didn't this hour go by fast? It absolutely did. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's blown by. Yeah, it's uh, thank you and your listeners for great questions on a hard topic, and mm-hmm. I hope that I've been somewhat clear so that we can kind of get the comp- concept of complementarity. Thank you so much, Dr. Greg Allison has been my guest. We're going to take a break. Can we come back? Hour two is just ahead. Jeff Dorn is in my studio. We're going to continue our study in First Thessalonians. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.